Well, let's turn in God's word and let's read about this amazing creation, this world that we live in, in Psalm 8. Psalm that praises God for the glories and the beauties of his creation. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And in our careless attitude towards the environment around us in recent years, by recent we mean the last 100 or so years, we have, whether we like it or not, acknowledge it or not, we have caused significant issues and carried out self-harm on an industrial scale to our planet. So with those facts in mind, how do we respond as a church? How do we look at this from scriptures, do we continue to bury our head in the sand and say, well, it'll all work out at the end? Do we do the denial? It's not really true. None of those things are harmful. Or do we become environmental activists and get our super glue out and go to museums and stick ourselves to famous paintings? What do we do? How do we respond from God's words? The first thing we must do is to take a step back and to consider what God says in his words about the world in which we live. And the first thing that God has told us is that he has made this world to display his beauty. He's made this world to display his beauty. We read earlier, didn't we, from Psalm 8, where the writer of the psalm, he looks up to the heavens, he says, I look at the moon. And I look at the stars. And then he looks down at the earth, the wild animals, the fish, the birds. And then he looks at human beings and he says, I can only make one response as I look around the universe. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Isaiah the prophet, how does he put it in Isaiah 6? He says, The whole earth is full of your glory. We often as Christians acknowledge that God made the world. He created the world, but rarely do we consider why. Why did he make the world? And the answer is, as Isaiah says, as the psalmist says, as Paul says in the book of Romans, he made this world to declare his glory, to show off His beauty, it's a display cabinet of God's majesty and power 
of his intricate wisdom and grace, of his artisan design. This planet, this universe, it's like a living art exhibition, pointing us beyond the art to say, who made this? What kind of designer, sculptor, artist could do something like this? We are meant to look at the heavens and the earth, the people and the animals, the trees and the seas, and say with the Christian songwriter Chris Tomlin, you are amazing, God. You are amazing. This is what he writes in one of his songs. From the highest of heights to the depths of the sea, creations revealing your majesty. From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring, every creature unique in the song that it sings, but all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All-powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim, you are amazing, God. As Christians, we ought to care for the environment because we care for the environment because in that way, we do not diminish the glory of God. We deliberately harm the creation that God has made to the detriment of the beauty display, the art exhibition of the majesty and the wisdom of our creator. We don't want the world to look at plastic-filled seas, melted ice caps, rubbish-filled cities, flooded splots. We don't want people to look at that and go, who made this mess? We want them to look at it and say, wow, what an artist, what a creator. How can I worship him? How can I give my life to him? We want to hear the, wow, you are amazing, God. Come from the lips and hearts of the people of Cardiff and the world. Imagine a jeweler who's got a firstborn child. He's thinking ahead. He says, I'm going to design the best ever watch ever made in the history of the world for my child and give it to them when they were an adult. And sure enough, over the next 18 years, he molds and sculpts and prepares and cuts and shines and designs and makes the most beautiful watch ever seen. And the child's 18th birthday comes around and there's this party and everybody's gathered. What will the father give to their child? He presents them this watch. Everybody's looking at it. Wow. You hear the backstory. They see the skill involved, the design, the beauty, the shining out of the magnificence of the jeweler. They say, what a watch. What a creator. But weeks go by and the child gets used to the watch and then they go swimming with it. And then they play sport with it. And at night, they just chuck it onto the bedside cabinet. And as time goes by, the watch becomes scratched and the glass is misting up. Nobody looks at it anymore. Nobody says, wow. Everybody says, it's just another watch. It's just another thing. By the end of the year, everybody has forgotten the story, the design and the designer. The glory of the creation is gone. And so the creator is forgotten along with it. 
And if we are likewise careless towards God's creation, we demean God. Chucking rubbish on the street, caring less about the environment, we demean the glory of God. We do not live a life filled with worship, but treat his glory carelessly. Now, while scripture warns us against over-exalting the creation so that creation is the pinnacle and the creator is somewhere down here, the flip side of that is it also warns us against under-exalting the creation because it's the display of the glory of God. We mustn't go to either extreme, over or under-exalting what God has made. But remembering why God made the world leads us to put it in the right place in the way that we treat it and think about it. Why did God make the world? To display his glory. But then secondly, remembering that leads us to consider why God made us. And here we discover that God created us. He created people as stewards of the environment and lovers of one another. The very first chapter of the Bible explains this in detail. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And then we read how God forms a garden and makes Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, he puts them into this garden. No sooner are they created, but he walks with them in the garden and he says, I want to chat with you about why you're here. Why have I made you? Why do you exist? And he's walking with them in the garden in Genesis 1, 28 to 29, he says this. Then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, see, I have given you Every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. God creates the world, and then he creates people, and then he hands over creation to them and says, look after this for me, will you? Rule over this, manage this, steward this. Psalm 115 verse 16 states, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the human race. He's saying, look, I have made you with a purpose. I want you to rule over it, yes, but I also want you to manage it. And those two aspects have different, um, different ways of thinking about how we are to live in this world. We are rulers. So God says, as a ruler, you are given the right by the creator to harvest the crop, to cut down trees, to slaughter animals, to feed the people. I give you the right as rulers to do that. But when you do that, I also want you to manage it well, to not overly do it so that it harms the environment in which you live. Yes, cut down trees. Yes, kill animals. Yes, feed the people. But as stewards of the world, don't do it in such a way that destroys the delicate balance 
of the environment in which you live. Hence, as we said earlier, he wrote into his very law the Sabbath rest for the soils of the land, for the care of the environment in which we live. We are rulers, yes, but within limits, carefully designed boundaries given by the one who knows. As we continue to read Genesis, history records how well we began, but how quickly we fell. And instead of caring for one another, instead of watching over each other, we began to kill the world. We began to hate one another, crossing the boundaries of planet care, destroying the world around us. It's our creator's creator demeaning sin where we say, I'll begin well, but then I'll go my own way. I'll stay within your boundaries and then I'll determine the boundaries. I'll rule, but I won't manage. Or I'll manage, but I won't rule. God says I created you as stewards to have dominion over, but to manage well. Creation care is written into the very commandments of God. But it's also the principle that stands behind the Ten Commandments of God. The Ten Commandments of God can be summarized like this. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We do not love God or our neighbor if we do not wisely and carefully steward the world in which he has made us. Think about this. You live upstream. Your neighbor lives downstream. You say, I only care about myself. I don't care about my neighbor. So I will check the pollution. I will check the waste products upstream where I live. Not realizing that your neighbor downstream gets the awful effects of the, the carelessness that you have shown, the lack of love that you have shown. We don't do that, do we? We don't say, I'm going to chuck it upstream because I love my neighbor as myself. God has created us as stewards of his world and lovers of one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we don't love our neighbor, if we don't care about our neighbor, we are actively or passively breaking the very commands of God. We are sinning against heaven and against earth. It's the very definition of sin. To say, I don't love God as I ought, and I don't love my neighbor as I ought. We break the commands and say, I sin, and I am content at sinning against God. You see, the reason we must act upon caring for our environment is not just because of cultural pressure or because it's the trendy thing to do at the minute, but because, it, but because it goes to the very heart of why God made us. It's how we glorify God. It's how we love our neighbor as ourself. Over winter, we've um, had some damp upstairs in the bedrooms and there's been this black mold growing. If anybody's got any hints, come see me after. But there's this damp, this gray, the black molds, awful stuff. But we don't just sit back and say, oh, it's just going to grow, in it? Can't do anything. We can't deny it and say it's not growing. We can see it in front of us. So what do we do? We wipe it off. 
we sterilize it, we open the windows, or we put a dehumidifier on, or we put anti-mold paint, and if there's anything else, give me a clue, please, because it's coming back all the time, but we care for our house environment, don't we? We all do. And so we look after it, we wash it, we clean it, we cut the grass, we paint the walls, we renew the kitchen, or whatever we do, we put new windows in, because we care for our environment, because we love ourselves. We love our family, and written into the law of God is we are to love our neighbor in the same way, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are commanded to look out for our neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Anyone who is in need, anyone who is vulnerable, anyone who can be harmed. We are to love them as we love ourselves. This is basic to the life of God. This is not a trendy movement for a Christian. This is, this is something that we love to do, to think about our neighbors yet to be born who can be affected by our upstream pollution, our neighbors in other nations who are being harmed by our toxic behavior. We think, we love, we care for them because it's written into the very heart of God's word. What does God say about his world? It's a world to display his glory. What does God say about us as people? You are stewards, managers, kings, and lovers. So care for my world. But saying all of this, scripture also tells us not to panic. Don't panic about the environment. Thirdly, we are told that ultimately God will keep his world in its rightful balance, and God will eventually save his world. Well-known activist Greta Thunberg, you knew she was going to be mentioned, and she has so many helpful things to say, and we mustn't overly criticize someone who is passionate about this subject. She rightly sounds the alarm about the devastating effect some of our behavior can have upon the world around us. But I think she goes too far when she says these two things. She says this. She says, solving the climate crisis is the greatest and most complex challenge that Homo sapiens have ever faced. And then she says, I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. On both scores, I think it's not right or healthy. As Christians, we know that climate change is not our greatest or most complex challenge. The greatest problem in our world is our direct rebellion against our maker, of which environmental damage is one aspect. But as we sung about, there are many other aspects too. Wars, hatred, divisions, crimes. These are all other aspects of our four, but our greatest problem as a human race is we hate God. We don't love him. We rebel against him. We sin against his word. We break his commands. That's our greatest problem. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter one, our greatest problem is our over-exalting creation so that we forget about the creator altogether. And it's interesting in environmental work and activism, 
so often creation is exalted and the creator is forgotten. But as Christians, we can't be like that. This is what Paul says. This is the definition of sin. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Because we overexalt creation, we think that the whole future depends upon us as part of its creation. We are people, and there's no one outside of this creation. So if we don't do anything, then it's all going to fall apart, and the future's going to be destroyed, and the world's going to end. So panic, because it all depends upon you. The Bible tells us that our greatest problem is over-exalting creation and under-exalting the creator. And while it tells us what sin is and the way that we have demeaned God and forgotten him, it also, in the same breath, gives us the solution, the solution that will result in our utter peace in this world if we just receive it. What is the solution? Romans 3, 22 to 24, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, our greatest problem, sin, rebellion against our creator, is met with that very creator coming into his creation to rescue it, to rescue us, to rescue you, to rescue me from the way that we had messed up and broken his world, and despised his name and fallen from his words. The creator himself stepped in to bleed and to die for the very sins we had committed by not following him and not loving him and not stewarding his world well, and not loving our creator, and not loving in, indeed our neighbor. The creator came to suffer, to bleed, and to die upon a cross, to renew us, redeem us, wash us clean, and bring us a fresh new start in life. On the cross, Jesus paid the price in full of our rebellion, ensuring that if we call upon his name, receiving Jesus Christ by faith, all our disobedience would be met by his obedience. All our blood-soaked, neighbor-hating ways would be washed clean by his blood. And one day he would bring in a perfected new world, a new environment, a new heavens and earth where no sin exists any longer. You know, if we, if we turn back tonight to our creator, we no, long, no longer need to panic about a present world or about the future because we come into the environment of his grace. We are renewed. We receive his promises about the future world and about our present world, a world that he has promised to sustain until his time is fulfilled. This is what he says. He gives us this promise in Genesis 8.22. He floods the world. 
He makes the world whole, and then he gives us all of this, all of us this promise. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. What a promise that is. A promise that gives us peace of mind that, yes, we continue to fail and fall in regards to the environment, but God will not let it be destroyed until his time is right. No need to panic. God is in control. We must steward our world well, but we need not fear, but trust the Lord. And then fourthly and lastly, let me finish with talking about that future and say this, that God will renew his world. He will renew his world, but not in the way we might expect. Depends how we were brought up, if we were brought up in church. It's long been taught in many churches that God is one day he's going to burn up this world and he's going to form a new one. So there's no point in really caring for the world anyway, because it's all going to burn up in the future and he's going to make a whole entirely new world. It's a strange and unthoughtful argument to make. One, because God is not going to burn up this old world and create a completely new one. Peter says he's going to burn up this world, but doesn't say he's going to create a new one. He's going to burn up this world like the Forestry Commission sometimes have to burn patches of forest to get rid of the old dry trees or the trees that are in the wrong place. And in a controlled environment, they burn them up to allow fresh new trees to be planted, the right trees for that forest. And God, in a controlled way, is going to burn up all the dross of this world and renew this world in which we live. But that still doesn't answer or explain why we should care for this world now if it's going to be burnt up in the future. Or does it? Well, I think it does. Because just as God commands his people, the Christians, to be sanctified and renewed and to care for their bodies, in light of the one day coming of Jesus Christ, where he will finally and utterly renew our bodies, so we think of the environment and the world like that. God doesn't say to us as Christians, say, why am I going to give you a new body? So don't care about yours now. I'm going to make you a whole new person. You're going to be in new heavens and a new earth. So don't care about how you live now. No, he says, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies are to display the glory of God. So you are to care for them now, even though one day they will be renewed. You'll be the same body, but a different body. And the same way we are to think of the creation around us. Yes, it's going to be finally and fully renewed but we are to still care for it because it's still to be the display of the glory of God in the present age. So we are to care for it until that final day when it will be renewed finally and fully. If we were any, in any doubt about that link between us as Christians and creation, Paul in Romans 8 deliberately makes the link between our own selves in the present and the future, and creation's present and creation's future. This is what he says in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 21. 
he says, talking about the world around us, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He says the whole creation is groaning under the weight of our sin, rebellion against God, and the creation is groaning in the pains, the longing for the new, the new heavens, the new earth to be formed when we will be renewed and our bodies will be renewed and we will be with God forever. Creation itself is longing for our renewal as God's people because it knows that its own renewal is simultaneous to ours. Creation's corruption and creation's future renewal is inextricably linked to the Christian's. And so in the same way we care for ourselves until that final day, we must also care for creation in the certain and sure hope that together we will be renewed finally and fully. This is our great hope. This is our great hope. Yes, sin has left a stain on our own bodies, just as in creation. But it's not the end. It's not the final story. Christ will return and renew his creation and his people and give us a new, make us a new creation in Christ. And so although we are responsible for doing what we can, we have to acknowledge tonight we will never successfully overturn the groaning of creation. We'll never successfully reverse the damage humanity has done by its sin. Our ultimate hope, our ultimate hope is in the creator who will make all things new. So how do we summarize? We summarize by saying God tells us in his word, in his very commands, that we must care for the environment. He shows us in the display of his glory that we must care for this world. But we must not panic. We must trust him. We must obey him. We must love him. We must love and care for our neighbor as we love and care for ourselves. Because as we care for our own environment, so we care for our neighbors. And so we finish tonight by singing, Jesus is Lord. Creation's voice proclaims it. For by his power, each tree and flower was planned and made. Jesus is Lord. The universe declares it. Sun, moon, and stars in heaven cry, Jesus is Lord.